So what did you want to be when you grew up? It's a common question to ask kids, isn't it? What do you want to be when you grow up? I once heard a comedian say that adults ask kids that question because they're looking for ideas. <laughs> when our daughter Zoe was four years old, she proudly announced one day that she was going to grow up to be a fish. An older brother, uh, two years older, Moses, um, did what older brothers love to do, which is to explain in very clear terms why she's wrong, and that's not possible. She was so sad that day to realize that she was stuck with being a human. But, but what about you? What, what did you want to grow up to be? Think back to when you were a child. All your dreams and your desires with the potential and possibilities of life laid out before you. What did you want to be when you grew up? Anybody, shout it out. Astronaut. An astronaut. Yes, it's not too late. <laughs> what else? A pastor. Yes. What else? Teacher. A teacher. Nurse. A nurse. Well, what are the chances, Marcia? <laughs> when, when I grew up, I really wanted to be a rapper. This is back in the days of MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice, if those names mean anything to you. Or I was going to be the starting pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. Thank you. And spring training is only a few days away, so I think this year might be my year. We'll see. We'll see. This morning... <laughs> This morning, I want us to think about the potential and the possibilities, all of our deepest dreams and desires of what we wanted to be when we grew up. Perhaps still what we want to grow into even today. We're continuing our series on mission. Uh, we're exploring exactly what it is that we're doing here as a church. We're exploring what, it, what exactly it is. Why we pulled ourselves away from an easy Sunday morning with the paper or the playoffs. And those of you at home, if you got two screens on right now, just focus on this one. Set the DVR, okay? In the past few weeks, we've seen what we're called to do. We're called to be a people of invitation, a people who invite. And last week, we thought together about who it is that we're called to invite, the all people who are around us in our networks and our neighborhoods. But what are we inviting them into? What are we inviting them into when we think together about this mission that God has given us? What are we inviting them into? This morning I want to invite us to think together about that in Mark chapter 8. Uh, let me catch us up. In Mark 8, a large crowd has been following Jesus for three days and they've had nothing to eat. Never mind the fact that I can hardly go three hours. That's another sermon. Jesus, though, Jesus, he has compassion on them. So he multiplies the loaves and the fishes and after dismissing them, Jesus continues traveling with his disciples. Let's pick up the story in Mark 8, verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for the one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, what's Jesus saying here? What's he trying to communicate? Jesus says, watch out. Keep your eyes open. 
See clearly what the world is trying to feed you. Jesus says, be careful what you take into your body, what you consume, because it will affect you. It will alter you from the inside out, especially, according to Jesus, in the world of religion and politics. Watch out, the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. But watch this. The disciples discussed this with one another, and they said, it's because we have no bread. I love this. They think Jesus is mad because they forgot the leftovers. They think Jesus is mad because they didn't take enough bread from the miracle that had just occurred. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your eyes hardened? But Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? See, Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah chapter 5. The next verse in Jeremiah reads, Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should you not tremble in my presence. You see, Jesus' disciples have been a part of this awe-inspiring miracle, which points to God's in-breaking kingdom. What's more, it points to Jesus as the king. But they're worried about the free breadsticks. They came to Bethsaida, and some uh, people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Bethsaida, remember, is the hometown of Andrew and Philip and Peter. And it, these people begged Jesus to touch this blind man. And he took a blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And so once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, this story is only found in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Luke, and John, they don't touch it. And I think we can understand why. It's kind of an embarrassing story, isn't it? Think about it. Jesus' own disciples are confused by a very simple metaphor. Be careful what you take into your body, Jesus says. Be careful what the world tries to feed you. And they say, oh, are, are you upset that we didn't bring enough free breadsticks along? Now, to explain it, Jesus quotes from the prophet Jeremiah, which they should know but totally miss. People bring a blind man to Jesus, but Jesus whisks him away from everyone. Then at first, it seems like the healing doesn't take. <laughs> What's going on here? So Jesus has to try again because the man's vision is blurred. It's, it's myopic. And then to top it all off, let's be honest, Jesus' method of healing is kind of gross. Even prior to COVID-19, right? <laughs> now, some attempt to explain away the awkwardness. They say, well... The problem is the man saw the dazzle of the bright Middle Eastern sun, and, and that was the reason for the lack of clarity. You, you just, you know. Others will say, no, uh, maybe there's some deficiency in Jesus' healing powers. Or, or maybe the man didn't do what the man was supposed to do to receive the healing, as if, like, God helps those who help themselves kind of thing. No. No, 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 no. Listen. If Mark says it happened that way, then I think we can trust that it actually happened that way. 
And here's why. Um, New Testament scholars call this the criterion of embarrassment. In other words, if something embarrassing happens in the Gospels, in a story that Mark did not have to tell us, that Matthew doesn't tell us, that Luke doesn't tell us, that John doesn't tell us, if something embarrassing happens in the Gospels, it's probably because it actually happened that way. Why would Mark include a story if it wasn't true, especially if the others leave it out? Jesus can heal people who merely touch his cloak. He can heal people from a distance. So why does Jesus choose to heal in this way, in this time, in this place? In the hometown of his earliest disciples, the place where they were raised, the place where they imagined what they could be when they grew up. Jesus heals in this way, in this time, in this place, because this is an enacted parable. This is something Jesus does intentionally to prove a point, to tell a story. And Jesus does this constantly if we're paying attention to the story Mark is telling us. You see, Jesus wants his disciples to see something about their own blindness through this man's recovery of sight. The same Greek word is used over and over. Time and time again, Mark uses the same word, blepo. Let me hear you say blepo. Blepo, over and over, Mark uses this word. Blepo, it means to see, or better yet, to perceive, to discern, or to understand. Jesus asks his disciples, he says, do you still not blepo? He asks the man born blind, do you blepo anything? The man says, I blepo people, they look like trees. Over and over, blepo. And then Jesus takes the man away from the crowds so only the disciples can see. See, this isn't just about the recovery of sight. This is about perception and discernment and understanding. It's about having eyes that truly see, about ears that truly hear. It's about Jesus' disciples and how their vision is blurred and myopic. Remember, The disciples were rabbi school dropouts, right? They were not the cream of the crop. They were not the top of the class. They had flunked out. They had returned to their hometowns, to the family business. That's where Jesus calls them. And so Jesus enacts this parable in this way, in this time, in this place. Not for the crowds, but for the called. Not for the crowds, but for the committed, so they would remember what they wanted to be when they grew up. So they would remember all those dreams and desires, all that potential and possibilities. It was there in Bethsaida that Jesus calls them away from the crowds. Because that's the place where they had those big dreams, and that's the place they returned when they couldn't hack it. When they would most echo the great philosopher of the human condition. You remember him. Remember when he said, I am what I am. Right? Think about it. There's a great discouragement there for philosopher Popeye, isn't there? There's a discouragement, isn't there? There's a disappointment, maybe even a little bit of despair. I am what I am. There's a kind of resignation for the disciples who had these great dreams and desires but returned to their hometown. And so what are we inviting people into, friends? What have we been invited into? Into a life of transformation. 
into a life where we don't have to be what we once were, where we need not resign ourselves to seeing people like trees walking around. We need no longer shrug our shoulders. I am what I am. Our culture highly values acceptance, which is a very good thing, of course. But in our culture's high value of acceptance, have we forgotten that Jesus comes to transform us? Jesus comes to change us. Jesus comes to make us more like him. You see, by seeing clearly, we see not only who we are, we see who Jesus is. And when we see who Jesus is, he can transform us into his likeness, into his image. We can grow up into him. C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, the world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non Christians. No, he said, there are people who are slowly seeking to be Christians, but who still call themselves by that name. And some of them are clergymen. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, but they do not yet call themselves so. Jesus' desire in Bethsaida was to meet the deepest desires and dreams of his disciples to reawaken their potential and possibilities, to open their eyes, that they might see themselves, that they might see him, that they might slowly become Christians. Missiologists, those who study mission, talk about bounded sets and, and center sets. Um, think of these crosses as uh, Jesus' disciples, okay? Um, those represent each of Jesus' earliest disciples. And um, think about them there in Bethsaida with that possibility of slowly becoming Christians as they journey with Jesus. Now, missiologists will distinguish between a bounded set and a center set. A bounded set looks like this, where if you are inside the circle, well, then you're part of the club. A, a bounded set tells us who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong, like the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod? Why does Jesus highlight those? Well, because in their thinking, the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, that, well, they want to teach you, they want to consume the idea that either you're in or you're out. This is a bounded set. You're in or you're out. And there's a big wall between those who are in and those who are out. But a centered set looks different. A centered set is less about who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong. A centered set is about our relationship to the center, to the middle. Are we pointing toward the center or are we pointing away from the center? Are we being drawn closer to the center or are we turning away from the center? Notice the crosses that are closest to the center, some of which are pointing the opposite direction. Remember that song we sang earlier? Jesus, be the center. Be my source, be my life, Jesus. Perhaps there's some of us here who feel like we're on the outskirts and we just hate it. And maybe we beat ourselves up a little bit because we feel like we're so far away from the center, from the place that we're supposed to be in life. We feel like those disciples who returned to Bethsaida who are not what we thought we would be. 
Life has not gone the way we thought it would. We are not yet who we wanted to become. And we're so discouraged that we're so far away. But where are you facing? Where are you pointing? Is it toward the center or is it away from the center? Jesus seems to be really interested in disciples who are trying to align themselves toward the middle. In a few verses, he he will criticize his right-hand man, Peter, who, who is pointing away from the center, who says the right words but means the wrong things. You see, Jesus is building a center set movement where our sight might be a little bit blurry, our sight might be a little bit myopic, We might look around and see people that look like trees walking around. But if we keep with Jesus, we can be touched again by Jesus, anointed again by Jesus, repositioned and pointed toward the center. See, this is why Jesus enacts this parable. This is why Jesus takes the man away from the crowd so that through his blindness the disciples might see themselves. Because it is in community, it is through the eyes of others that we see ourselves. It's in community, through the eyes of others, that we can best push back against Popeye's narrative, I am what I am. And instead, in community, we can lean into another great philosopher. Soren Kierkegaard once said, and now, with God's help, I shall become myself. And now, with God's help, I shall become myself, who he desires me to be, those greatest dreams and desires, the potential and possibility, with God's help. And so where are you leaning into community? With all the distractions and divisions and dissension of this season, it has never been easier to stay to ourselves. Where are you leaning in to community? You see, a sermon on Sunday, supplemented by personal study, will not enable you to grow into the life that God has for you. It will only take you so far. That's why Jesus calls 12 disciples. That's why Jesus draws the committed, the called, away from the crowd. And the same prescription is needed for us if we too are to grow into life in God's family. A sermon on Sunday and study by ourselves is not enough to sustain us. The earliest disciples needed it, and we need it too, away from the crowd, that we might be and even more so become God's people, inviting others into life in his family. So let me ask you this question this morning. How is God drawing you back to the center? How is God drawing you into community? Instead of whatever direction you're pointing, how is God drawing you into his family more and more so this day, this week, this year? Let me submit to you that if you are not yet in a a life group here at church, if you're not in some sort of Bible study, if you're not in some sort of communal connection, I would be willing to bet that wherever you are amidst that, that graphic a few moments ago, your week sometimes looks like this. 
And depending how things are going, that arrow may be pointing any which direction. But it's only in community that God calls us together, away from the crowd, that we might be formed more and more into the image of Jesus. And so, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to look more and more like Jesus? Do you want to become more and more of yourself with God's help? My deepest dream and desire is that we would continue to be and even more so become that congregation that not only gathers in rows on Sundays, but in circles during the week. And even online, we have a number of wonderful opportunities where we can do that. Even though we are distanced from one another, we can be joined together. My deepest dream and desire for our potential and possibility is that following this sermon, it wouldn't just be a sermon. It would be an invitation to grow in community. And that myself and Brian and Janae and and Joy, in a couple weeks when she officially starts, would be able to connect with you and to connect you in that kind of community. That kind of circle, not just a row, but a circle where we can see one another through one another's eyes. We can see ourselves and we can grow more into the image of Jesus. We invite you to do so because if the earliest disciples needed it, who were there with Jesus in person, boy, do we need it that much more. May we not conclude with Popeye, I am what I am. May we instead say now, I will become myself with God's help. God, we give you thanks for the good news of Jesus. Jesus, who does somewhat strange things sometimes in order to draw us away from the crowd, that we might be and even more so become your people that we reflect his image because we have been formed in community. God, would you draw us out of our own solitude? Would you draw us out of ourselves, where we have perhaps withdrawn away from community? And would you form us even more so into the image of Jesus as you do? We pray it all in his name and for his sake. Amen.